Let me start with a riddle. What do Noel Kelly, Kel O'Shea, Kerry Bostead, Tommy Redonicus, Steve Rogers, and Andrew Eddingshausen all have in common? If you said they're all great rugby league players who all played for their states and Australia, you're technically correct. Congrats, you can have a pat on the back. If you said they should all have been models because you heard Eddingshausen's name, I'd like to kindly remind you I also mentioned Tommy Rodonicus and Noel Kelly, so no prize for you. The point I'm making is these are all great players with incredible legacies. They were all the best players in their position at some point in history. Some went on to become coaches and media pundits. Some became chief executives. Some smoked more than chimneys in 1700s London. Some got their own fishing show. But none of them ever won a premiership in the national competition. It's hard to say exactly what drives each footballer. As you imagine, it's different for each person. Some are driven by personal excellence, and for them there is no higher honour than making representative teams. Many are satisfied with making first grade in the big city, training week in, week out to make their passion into a living. For most though, nothing surpasses the feeling of winning a premiership. Lifting the trophy after a tough season, preceded by an even more gruelling pre-season, and doing it with your mates. The players you spend most of your week with, travel with, room with, the coach that you tell your problems to, or who helps you to become a better person and player. To win the Premiership, is there a better feeling? The year is 1989. Canberra will take on Balmain in the Grand Final. Canberra came into the national competition earlier that same decade and had already been to the big dance, losing the 1987 Grand Final to Manly at the SCG. They had great players, Meninga, Belcher, Daly, Stewart, Walters, Lazarus, Clyde. By winning the competition, they became the first team from outside New South Wales to win the New South Wales Rugby League. Balmain were a foundation club who recently had been enjoying sustained success with their own group of excellent players. The last time they'd won the competition was 1969, a year after their great fullback Keith Barnes retired. Poor Keith Barnes never won a premiership either, becoming the victim of those great dragon sides of the 50s and 60s. With the likes of Gary Jack, Tim Brasher, Steve Roach, Benny Elias, Paul Sirenen, and led by Wayne Pierce, they went into this game as favourites. Having lost the previous year's grand final to the Bulldogs, this was seen as their time. However, after this game, these great Balmain players would join the likes of Eddingshausen, Rogers, and Bostead. Great players who never won the comp. My name is Bo Nicholson and you're listening to Above the Horizontal, a conversation podcast about the greatest game of all, Rugby League. As always, I'm joined by Kieran Gibson and Miles Stedman, and this episode we are dissecting the 1989 Grand Final between the Canberra Raiders and the Balmain Tigers. 
I'm joined tonight by Kieran Gibson. Uh, Kieran, last time we spoke, you mentioned that you've been doing a, a bunch of running. Have you been uh, engaging in any other activities during this forced lockdown? Uh, no, no, no TikToking, um, as I've seen you've been doing <laughs> on uh, on social media. Um, yeah, you you would have been hard pressed getting me. To, I was hard pressed getting. Uh, getting me up to dance at my um, formal um, in my last year of high school. Um, so I don't <laughs> think I'd, I'd really take to TikTok at all. Um, yeah, just, just more running uh, and a bit of uni work and uh, uh, preparing for this podcast. Well, that's, um, that's something that Nathan Cleary and I at least have in common is uh, we can be talked into the occasion <laughs> TikTok. Uh, it might be more age-appropriate for Nathan. I'm turning 32, but that's okay. Uh, Miles, please tell me that you'll support me in my TikToking and, uh, and perhaps you've engaged as well. Uh, I'll support you in your TikToking, but I, I haven't engaged <laughs> in any myself, um, if that's what you're suggesting. Um, <sighs> but look, I, I think it's... Um, uh, I think it's incorrect to suggest that you just have um, TikToking in common with Nathan Cleary. You also both have extremely chiseled jawlines. <laughs> uh, mine less so, I can assure you of that. <laughs> <laughs> I think the whole world's less so, to be honest. <laughs> that's true, apart from his, maybe his dad. Um, I, I will just make a mention of the fact that we're trying out some new software and we've got some internet issues, um, but I don't feel too bad considering that we're talking about the 1989 uh, NSWRL Grand Final between the Balmain Tigers and the Canberra Raiders, and on that commentary they actually had like Coke cans opening in the background, I could hear at different times, you had commentators <laughs> breathing really loudly, uh, and then just saying the worst stuff, so I think even with our challenges, we've still got them covered, so uh, we'll give it our best shot, um, and as I said, we're talking about that 1989 Grand Final, rather, uh, Kieran, how did we get to the Grand Final between the Tigers and the Raiders? Um, so at the end of the regular season, which was 22 rounds, um, the Tigers, or Balmain back in the day, um, finished third on 29 points, one point above the Raiders who finished fourth on 28 points. And the Tigers had the uh, better defense, um, but the Raiders had the better attack. And the Raiders were riding a seven-game winning streak going into this match, including three finals matches, knocking out the Sharks by a point, and then knocking out both Penrith, who finished the season second, and South Sydney, who won the minor premiership and were five points clear of second place. So they knocked out some heavy hitters um, to get to the grand final and definitely deserved their spot there. Um, the Tigers won eight of their last ten games with one draw against Manly, and they beat Penrith in round 22, who finished second on the ladder, so the last round of the season, um, which squeezed the Tigers up into third spot. And I think the biggest or the biggest story that I could find, at least from this season, um, is definitely uh, quite a, a big honour. Um, Bradley Clyde, Clyde made the Australian team in just his second year of first grade at 19 years of age. What an amazing uh, season, or couple of seasons, to uh, introduce into first grade for Bradley Clyde. He did go on to get the Clive Churchill medal for best player on ground in the grand final we're about to talk about. Uh, and it's worth mentioning at this point that we all had a vote on who our MVP would be, and Bradley Clyde, who are we to argue with the Australian selectors? He's tireless work rate. Uh, he was the kind of guy that uh, was the first down there to make the tackle on a kick, uh, a kick chase, or uh, he's the first forward back for that first hit up from a kick return, um, and absolutely gave no quarter at any point. 
uh, at 19 years of age, taking down Wayne Pierce, who was the preeminent lock of that era. So a pretty incredible effort from Bradley Clyde. Uh, Miles, what can you tell us about uh, this particular matchup uh, between the Tigers and the Raiders? What was on the line here? Well, obviously, there's a lot on the line for both clubs. It's, of course, it's the grand final. But um, more specifically, uh, the Raiders, uh, new to the New South Wales Rugby League as it was back then, they've been around since 1982, and they just started to get a little bit of a trot on in making the, the finals pretty regularly. They've got uh, superstars throughout their lineup, like Gary Belcher, Laurie Daly, uh, Mal Meninga, um, and, of course, Kevin Walters coming off the bench, Ricky Stewart. Steve Walters, uh, so they've got a pretty stacked lineup, and the Tigers have quite a stacked lineup too. They've got Gary Freeman, who is, I believe, the New Zealand uh, halfback. They've got Gary Jack, uh, uh, Steve Roach up front. Um, so they've got a, quite a stacked lineup as well, and they've just the season past brought in Warren Ryan as head coach from the Bulldogs. So they're looking to make a little bit of a run at a premiership right in their wheelhouse. And they've finished, I believe, in the top in the top four in the past three seasons. So their future is, I guess, it's right now. Whereas the the Raiders have uh, a bit more of a future in front of them. As it turned out to be, of course, uh, Tigers certainly you would say just the slight favourites in this one, particularly with Warren Ryan uh, at the helm. Uh, so much experience, as you said, with Jack and Pierce and Roach and all those guys. And Freeman, as you mentioned, uh, was the New Zealand halfback. In fact, um, until Ruben Wiki overtook his appearance record for New Zealand, he had played the most tests uh, for his country. So that was uh, he was obviously a very experienced player as well. Uh, Canberra did kick off to Balmain in this first half. Uh, that was, of course, after a ceremonial kickoff from a young kid uh, that wasn't good enough to suffice as a kickoff so they took it back and the Raiders did it and Kieran there was something interesting uh, from that very first tackle um, yeah it was a bit of a, uh, a different tactic straight off or at least from what you would see uh, today straight off the kickoff um, and I really loved it watching Gary Jack take the first hit up from the kickoff um, and it's really uh, seen today um, normally you'd have a halfback or a 5'8 or a fullback catch the ball and pass it off to a forward. Um, I can appreciate that forwards set the tone for the match and signify with a solid run that they won't be bullied out of the game. But I wouldn't mind some backline players taking a leaf out of Gary Jack's book um, and uh, just running it straight up themselves. Gary Jack beat a couple of players on that run. Um, and it was something different, um, quite refreshing. You see it off dropouts a tiny bit these days where they'll catch it um, and they'll have a, they won't run it themselves, but they'll have a set play through the hands um, instead of passing it straight off to a forward. Um, and I've seen it work quite a bit, so um, it's just something different, kind of switching the play up a bit that catches the opposition off guard. It was quite nice to have that moment uh, in the very first like 15 seconds where you have the ceremonial kickoff, you have the, the sand... Uh, castle to kick the ball off. Malmeninga toe-poking it down to Gary Jack, who instead of passes it to Roach, just runs it up himself. It's like a different world. And Miles, it wasn't the only thing that was different. No, it's uh, there's a lot different about this game. You see it as soon as you start watching it, really hits you in the face. They've got a different ball, um, which I believe they used once uh, about 10 or so years ago in a heritage round sort of thing. It's mainly brown in colour. Um, the quality of the field is absolutely terrible, <laughs> and obviously um, horticulture has, has come a long, a long way since then. Uh, particularly when it comes to 
football fields and the like. A lot of the, the players are sporting big, goofy NFL-style shoulder pads, particularly, uh, interestingly enough, Steve Roach, who is seems to be wearing the biggest of all of them all, despite being probably the biggest guy on the ground. So <laughs> that's interesting. Um, and, of course, we've got some, some interesting hairdos going on. T- uh, Tim Brasher, who... Uh, played most of his career, unfortunately, without any uh, on salad on, on on top. Was uh, sporting a, a nice long mullet, so uh, rest in peace to that. Pretty pretty soon after this game, I would think. But also, uh, Bo, I know you uh, you like your movies, mate. Um, is that is that William H Macy at fullback for the Raiders? Look, it's either it's hard to tell with that moustache. I don't remember ever seeing William H Macy with a moustache. So it's either William H Macy in disguise, Gary Belcher, or a 1970s porn star making a comeback in the 80s. So uh, it's hard for me to tell exactly um, who it is, but... Well, was uh, was was William H. Macy not in a movie about porn stars? Well, he was. He was in Boogie Nights. Uh, you're quite right, 1997. Uh, good get. So, look, it, it may well be. This could have been research for his role. I'm not sure. Um, I don't know how football comes into it, but that's another thing. Um, <laughs> speaking of, uh, that's, that's one of the Raiders' fullbacks, but uh, the Tigers' fullback and a few of the other Tigers were, uh, were really putting in early, Kieran. Oh, yeah. Um, Paul Sirinan had a few, few big plays in the space of five minutes. Um, he had a... A big run. Um, I think he must have run for about 20, 20 meters. Um, but he had a couple of big hits. One in particular on on Gary Coyne. Um, and I I've heard a lot about Paul Sirinan. Obviously, his son's playing in the NRL now, um, and how good he was. But um, this really showed me just how uh, good good he really really was, as everyone said. Gary Jack was also superb in the first half. Probably um, twenty minutes in, and he beat. Uh, I reckon he beat the first man nearly every run, um, and he just ran it up hard. Wayne Pierce was putting in um, everywhere. He was doing all the one percenters. He was taking all of the uh, the first runs out of his um, own half after the Raiders had kicked the ball down, taking the first hit up, um, just doing all of the dirty hard work that uh, nobody really likes. But um, you could see the vigor in his face, and he was uh, ready for war that day. Um, unfortunately, as we touched on, uh, Clyde was probably the better 13. Um, I thought Wayne Pierce personally was the, the better 13 or at least, um, on par for 80 minutes, but he went missing a little bit in extra time. Which we'll of course get to. I'm glad that you mentioned that hit on Gary Coyne actually, because he was the subject of our Where Are You Now award, um, hit so hard by Sirenan in that first half that uh, Gary Coyne, who of course was the Canberra, uh, Canberra Raiders second rower, who played 11 origins for Queensland and four tests, uh, decided that football was no longer for him and dedicated himself to battling childhood obesity and is now the franchisee of multiple McDonald's restaurants around the northern reaches of Brisbane. So, you know, obviously doing his bit for uh, for, for kids and their weight issues. Miles... Uh, much like my humour, uh, Tigers maybe slightly <laughs> off their game early. <laughs> Look, I think uh, the Tigers were far more off their game than, than you are with your humour. Um, no, they were they they weren't good. I thought in the first um, the first fifteen or so minutes, they were running it hard, as as Kieran said. But you do see them give away a, a fair few penalties in the the opening stanzas of the game, and uh, turn the ball over a fair bit, giving the Raiders a, a lot more football um, down the Tigers' own end. So uh, I thought, as a team, they were, they were probably not at their best in the opening um, opening moments here. 
Absolutely. Um, despite that, they were the first to actually get on the scoreboard, though. Uh, Canberra did have an attempt at a penalty with Mal Meninga, uh, who toe-poked it wide. Uh, and Andy Currier, the British import, playing at right centre for the Tigers, uh, with his around-the-corner kicking style, uh, managed to put the Tigers on the board with a later penalty, making the score 2-0. Miles, uh, pretty damning little example for the toe-poke. Yeah, we, we saw the toe-poke go the way of the dodo shortly after this game, uh, maybe a few years after, with Daryl Halligan enjoying um, all the success he did with the around-the-corner kicking style. Uh, it, it had been prevalent in Great Britain for a number of years, uh, I'm guessing due to their uh, uh, taste for, for soccer up north, uh, which was obviously the prevailing free-kick-taking style. So you see, as you said, British import Andy Carrier perfecting the uh, the around-the-corner kick with his first attempt and, and Mal Meninga spraying it wide from not too difficult a position with the toe poke, which is uh, a notably inaccurate method of kicking the ball. Meninga strikes me as a particularly stubborn uh, type um, because only a couple of years before that, um, I distinctly remember Michael O'Connor nailing a conversion from a sideline in an origin game. Uh, with it around the corner, kicking style, yet Meninga continued to toe poke, even when it became obvious that uh, that, that kicking style was no longer the best. Um, I guess he was just sticking with what he knew. Uh, Kieran, one thing that we sort of noticed early in the, maybe in the first quarter of the game, was uh, in, in my mind, 80s football has this kind of vibe that it's very tough uh, there's head-high tackles everywhere, blokes are bleeding, there's dirt on the ground and mud, and you think of that Noel Cleal attempted dropout where it lands in the mud and goes nowhere. You think of that when you think of 80s rugby league, but it was actually... Uh, they were fairly throwing that ball around. Yeah, there was a lot of um, sideline-to-sideline movement of the ball, and neither side was really afraid to throw it around. Um, I would have loved to have seen Craig Bellamy in the coaching box for this one. I would suggest that Tim Sheens may have done a fairly decent impersonation of Craig Bellamy uh, for the Tigers' first try. Um, With that tactic of throwing the ball around in your own half, maybe not working out for the Raiders, as Brent Todd, the New Zealand and Raiders prop, uh, runs sort of across the field to the left, looks to offload to Daly in a tackle about 30 metres out from his own line. Now he's on the front row partner. And the fifth Unfortunately, he's directed he's directed that offload to the very nimble and uh, quick James Grant, uh, the Balmain winger who was an ex-Wallaby and who scoots uh, away to score the try. Uh, Andy Carrier, despite his advanced kicking techniques, misses the conversion, uh, but following their earlier penalty goal, the score is six points to nil. Uh, Kieran, it's... The Balmain Tigers are leading 6-0 at this point, and it's a bit of a shame that that error happened when it did, straight after some pretty good efforts from the Raiders. Yeah, um, exactly as you pointed out. There was uh, a couple of great efforts from a couple of, of Raider uh, soon-to-be legends um, in Belcher, getting out of the in-goal from a brilliant Tigers kick um, that uh, stopped about probably two metres short of the dead ball line. Um, and following that brilliant run by Belcher to get out of the in goal where he, he was trapped by about, or at least he had two, three defenders around him 
um, and he managed to maneuver his way out down the blind side. Um, and then Lazarus followed that up with a, a charging run um, that had the Raiders on the front foot, really, for that set where it looks like they could be forced to kick the ball from inside their own 20 at one stage. Um, and then, yeah, it was unfortunate because uh, a couple of good efforts were left unrewarded with um, James Grant scoring that intercept. I'm not sure who to blame here, Miles. It's it's either Brent Todd for sort of going across the field a little bit and, and throwing the offload, um, even though there was probably a slight overlap and some pretty handy players outside him in Daly and Ferguson, or whether to blame the supporting players who reacted about as quickly as a sloth. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. You hear the, the commentators in this one, uh, they lambast him fairly quickly for running cross field when these days the players are taught to basically exploit the uh, the overlap whenever they see one. Um, and clearly also offloading not quite as adept or common a skill for forwards as it is today back then because clearly none of, of Todd's teammates are, are waiting for him to offload this one and that's what results in the... The try, the, the nice little opportunistic try for the Tigers. So 6-0 is the score. The Raiders do get a penalty, and Meninga does manage to convert, uh, making it 6 points to 2. But just before half-time, and deep in their own half, Elias ducks out to a right-side blindside, uh, flicks an offload out the back of the hand uh, while in a tackle to Steve Roach, who was noted for his ball skills, draws and passes to Andy Currier, uh, which obviously created some space. Uh, Carrier quickly ran out of that space. Never mind, he bombs it downfield, which finds a wicked bounce for Gary Belcher. Big six tackles. 60 seconds, nearly 90 seconds, I should say, to go. As Balmain player back for Elias. Short blindside, they've got some room. Courier's quick. Gets the kick in over the head of Belcher. Bouncing, and Grant's there. He passes infield for Courier. This will be incredible. Surinan charging, charging. They won't stop him. What a try. What a rugby league try in a grand final. The bounce favoured the Tigers. The league club erupts. The stadium erupts. The Balmain players can't believe it. Oh, what a try. It is one of the best grand, uh, grand final tries ever. It wins the award uh, for the Michael Scott Award for Improvisational Skills. Uh, Andy Carrier converts, and the score is 12 points to 2. Kieran, that was a real kick in the guts for the Raiders. Yeah, for sure. I, I have it down as a turning point in this match. It was um, off the back of a 5-1 penalty count to the Raiders, and uh, what looked like could be an injury to Elias. The, the commentators were uh, suggesting that he looks like he could be a bit hurt, um, but Despite being exhausted, the Raiders or the Tigers, sorry, hung in and didn't allow the Raiders to score, and then scored as you just described brilliantly through some enterprising play. I have to mention Elias as well. They were saying he looked uh, injured, but gee, he tried hard in this game, and I assume he did throughout his whole career from the accolades he received from his peers. He um, even when he made a, a questionable option, um, or yeah, took a questionable kind of. Uh, risk. He never gave up on the play. He would um, always try to offload the ball if he was caught or use some last-second strength to palm off a would-be defender. He fought for every inch and uh, didn't just succumb to the tackle. That's right. Now, as that play unfolds and Carrier bombs the ball downfield, uh, I would say terrible bounce for Gary Belcher. Miles, you might say Gary Belcher was out of position. 
I would definitely say Gary Belch was out of position. And in fact, I think he was out of position a number of times uh, in this first half, especially, which is interesting because the, the commentators seem to really kind of praise him for the game he had here. But I thought that he was thoroughly outpointed, uh, especially in the first half by Gary Jack. Uh, you could have somewhat called the game a bit of a referendum on the, the number one jersey for the Kangaroos. They were going to go on a international tour to, to New Zealand later that year, and you had the, the two incumbent state of origin fullbacks facing off in this one. And, and as I said, I thought that Jack was was far better. He ran the ball far far harder, found a lot more space on offense than, than Gary Belcher seemed to all day. And, and Belcher, as I said uh, a, a number of times, out of position in fullback, uh, he's either too, sometimes he's too deep on the kick, sometimes he's too shallow. So he gets caught out a number of times here, and I, I generally th- generally think he offers very little on offense in this game. So, uh, and, and I guess we should note that it was it was Belcher who ended up winning the fullback position for the Kangaroos that year. So, uh, look, the selectors much smarter men than me, but uh, off this game alone, I, I certainly would have given Jack the jersey. Yeah, I agree. Oh, well, I'll be outnumbered. Then. <laughs> I'll be outnumbered. You two can have the win on this one. Uh, look, I, I was actually fascinated, not just by that battle, as you, as you rightly say, Miles. They had a, a fierce rivalry at origin level and, and, uh, and at club level as well uh, to try and get that Australian jumper. Um, but it wasn't just in that position. You know, you had Mal Meninga, this legend of the game, future immortal at right centre, being marked by 19-year-old... Uh, salad hair Tim Brasher um, who would go on to be one of New South Wales's great fullbacks um, competing with Brett Mullins for that title in the 90s. Uh, at hooker we've already mentioned Benny Elias and his amazing skill set um, was always doing battle with Steve and Kerrod Walters um, the two number nines from the Queensland Maroons uh, Walters very conflicting style. Uh, Walters was more the tough type, a good tackler, a smart uh, footballer, more of a Cameron Smith type for his influence on a game. The kind of guy that if there was uh, a f- no forward to take the hit up, he would just take it instead. Um, whereas Elias seemed, as we said, more skillful and, and silky. You had Steve Roach, who was probably the preeminent front rower of the 80s. Uh, matching up against young bull Glenn Lazarus, who had become one of the great front rowers, the brick with eyes, uh, and obviously uh, having a a questionable uh, political background, but that's another thing entirely. Uh, um, And you've got Wayne Pearce, who was one of the great locks of the 80s, as we mentioned, up against Bradley Clyde. It was a salivating battle in a a lot of different disciplines. But at halftime, the score is 12-2, Tigers well on top. But I thought the Raiders may have been slightly the better side. Um, Kieran, what did you make of of, of some of the, the different tactics that that we saw uh, deployed in the first half? Um, yeah, there was a, a bit of Union-style tactics um, of kicking on the second and third tackle. Um, and you had halfbacks defending at fullback. Um, in particular, Ricky Stewart, I noted, um, to try and gain positional advantage. Um, they were trying to to utilize his kicking game as much as possible. Um, I did notice the commentator said his kicking game had been a little bit off the previous few weeks leading into this one, but uh, nonetheless his uh, kicking game was um, brilliant um, throughout his career and uh, it was something that they tried to um, exploit the Tigers with uh, and early on the tackle count as well. Ricky Stewart um, is... You can certainly say his kicking style... um was his was his trademark uh, as well as his passing, uh, Miles? When it comes to Mal Meninga, we 
hear so much about this man and we have so few opportunities at our age uh, I'm going to say that I'm as old as you guys because you guys are younger than me. Um, we have so few opportunities to actually see the man in action. When I think of Mal Meninga trademarks, though, I think of center in a back roller's body. I think of strength and offload. Um, but we saw a, a varied range of skills here from Meninga. Yeah, you really see, uh, obviously in the first half, but, but definitely notably later on in the game, you see his club look to him to be the kind of pressure valve uh, on a number of occasions, especially uh, when they've had a, a poor set on the, the fourth or fifth tackle. You see him put in a number of relieving kicks, which, uh, and I, I think, uh, as we've established, this, the 40-20 was not around by this game, but certainly a, f- uh, a few kicks that would have gone for 40-20s. Um, and just generally big hit-ups late in the, the tackle and, and, of course, early in the tackle as well. So it's, it's a real... He's a, a real... Obviously, he's a great of the game and, and a fantastic leader, but you really see some of his leadership qualities come through in, in the way that he plays his hand in this game. Absolutely. Uh, one thing I was really enjoying, Kieran, I know you were too, was the yeah. uh, the intent in defence as well. Yeah, um, it was... It, I, th- I personally believe the tackling, at least in this game, was uh, better than we see today. Um, whilst there was plenty of missed tackles and jersey-grabbing, uh, to bring players down in this uh, classic 89 grand final. I thought the number of clean tackles around the hips or leg, legs just chopping players down immediately was beautiful to watch. And it reminded me of uh, both, although I didn't see Trevor Gilmeister, his uh, highlights, and uh, a Jake Trebojevic today. Um, and uh, just less of that wrestle that we see today, which I really hate that slows the game down. Um, I just really enjoyed seeing less of that and more um, beautiful just bringing that player straight down to the ground um, and then getting straight back up. And, that, yeah, it just increased the flow of the game. One bloke that absolutely loved to to lay a good low tackle was the Tigers' captain, Wayne Pierce, uh, with the halftime score at 12-2. And in their first use of the football in the second half, Wayne Pierce makes a very simple error, uh, putting the Canberra Raiders on the attack. But Miles... There was no way he was going to let that go. No, uh, as I touched on at this, the the start of the podcast, uh, Wayne Pierce is well. The, the majority of the Tigers here are right in the thick of their career, but Wayne Pierce probably, um, uh, I guess, uh, a, a little bit of an elder statesman in this team, and he's got a lot riding in this game because it's it's the last, of course, the last grand final we he plays in that uh, we know now, and it's he's probably sensing that it's one of his last cracks at a, a premiership. Um, and so he's, he's never about to let the, the Raiders wingers score. In, in that instance, he comes uh, across the field with a, a fantastic covering tackle and it's uh, a fantastic play from the Tigers captain. And it wasn't just like one of those, uh, I'm thinking like Scott Sattler, wrap around the ankles, just keep him out of the try line. It was like, I've hit you with my chest and sent you into the cheerleaders uh, kind of tackles on on Wood uh, to prevent him from scoring. And in that sense, a real statement play from Wayne Pierce after making that error. Um, Speaking to one of his old roommates on Kangaroo Tours, uh, Wayne Pierce was known as perfectionist he was so clean he uh he loved the ladies but he would he would also uh be the fittest guy going around and just would no leave no uh, stone unturned uh so that was very typical of, of his style of play um another experienced player that was really starting to come alive in the second half was uh was john chicka ferguson though kieran 
Yeah, um, Chica, he, he really grew into this match. Um, as the Raiders were trying or slowly starting to get a, a bit of ascendancy, uh, he was making 20, 30 meters um, on quite a few runs, just uh, beating tackles. And uh, it was only for some des- desperate Tigers defense that scuppered um, this attack. Uh, it, w- it was really good to watch. And uh, the sort of thing you want from your wingers, I, I can't stand today. Uh, particularly the Cowboys have had a, a few wingers over the years where they kind of just catch the ball and run into the defense. But this was uh, not something um, that was a part of Ferguson's game. He wanted to beat the, the tacklers every single time he got the ball. And uh, Ferguson's a bit of a throwback uh, body shape too. He's 175 centimeters tall, 73 kilos. He's pretty old by this stage, not like super old, but he was certainly coming towards the end of his career. Uh, and... As you mentioned, he was really starting to play well, to the point that he was actually a key figure in their first try. Uh, The Raiders, being 10 points down in the second half, were starting to throw the ball around a bit extra, and when they're on the attack, they went for a huge spread to the left. Long, long pass. Quick hands, they'll score. Daly. Ferguson. Again, he ducks tackles. Belcher. They must score. Belcher. That is deserved. The best player side today has come up with a try. The Leeds club has gone berserk. The stadium knows this grand final is up for grabs again. Great attack. With Laurie Daly at left centre, he finds Ferguson, who dodges and weaves his smaller frame into space on the inside, before a beautiful sleight of hand finds uh, finds William H. Macy slash Gary Belcher, uh, who runs underneath... <laughs> Uh, the Ferguson line and into space for the try. Meninga Topos is way over for a goal and Balmain remain in front 12 points to 8. Uh, it was interesting to see the Raiders' tactic in that try there, Miles. Yeah, I, th- I thought the, the danger of the Raiders all day on offense had been their switching of the point of attack. Uh, you see, obviously, they're coached by Tim Sheens in this game. And as we talked about last week with the, the 2010 Tigers, they so often like to kind of challenge the defense off, off every every tackle, not not try and score off every tackle necessarily, but at least uh, give this defense something to think about. And you certainly see that in the Raiders today. And it's I think they really should have employed it more uh, when they had a chance to score. And you see them do it here, and the, it's, uh, it's the end of the Tigers on this particular occasion, and they score a try. So the score is 12 points to 8. It's a bit of an arm wrestle. The Raiders still feel very much in it, but the clock is starting to wind down. The Tigers on the attack uh, in the in the Raiders' half. Uh, they go to the left. Um, Mal Meninga caught a little bit in field. Mick Neal, who was playing uh, at 5'8 for the Tigers, a very solid first grader, looks certain to score, but Mal Meninga pulls out possibly the greatest and most important ankle tap of all time in a grand final uh, to somehow miraculously uh, slow him down just enough so that Wood can dive on McNeil and keep the score at 12 points to 8. Therefore, Mal Meninga wins the Matt Singer Award for try-saver of the match. There was basically consensus on that. A later penalty goal to the Tigers makes the score 14 points to 8, and that 
much harder for the Raiders. For the Tigers, the game then turned into a bit of a field goal fest, uh, particularly in one in one set. Uh, Benny Elias had two failed attempts within a minute of each other, with about six minutes left and the score still at 14-8. One was charged down by Meninga in a uh, typically inspirational play. Uh, the other hit the crossbar. He didn't strike it too well. Uh, fell to Gary Freeman, who knocked it on, and that gave the Raiders a scrum 10 metres out from their own line. Kieran, with the way that Benny Elias and a few of those Tigers were throwing that ball around in that first half, it was interesting to see them uh, hunker down like this. Um, yeah. I mean, they obviously had a lot of hard runners in Wayne Pierce, Paul Sirenin, uh, Steve Roach, who did get pulled off um, in the second half, but they were kind of relying on um, those guys to get them within range of a field goal. Um, and as you said, uh, their attack in the first half was just on. Um, you would have thought that they could have uh, gone for a few more points rather than just relying on the one point. Obviously, it would have taken them seven points clear, um, but the Raiders were really coming, and even if they had gone up by seven points... Uh, I had to think that the Raiders would have come with everything as they did, even if they had gone up by seven to win this game. You know, the the, the influence of the six and the nine, O'Sullivan and Walters, um, they really started to grow into this game, along with Sticky at seven, um, and they really started to pull apart the tiring Balmain defence. I'm glad you mentioned O'Sullivan. He's, he's one of those guys that, again, an honest first grader, um, a foundation player for the Raiders when they came into the, the competition in 1982. And uh, he did certainly come into his own, uh, particularly with a couple of minutes left. Uh, it's last tackle, 10 metres out from the Balmain Tigers line down the right side. Chris O'Sullivan jumps into dummy half, and instead of passing it to Ricky Stewart, which the Balmain Tigers would have certainly been expecting, he just picks the ball up and uh, bombs it across field. Five tackles gone for the Raiders. They'll bomb. O'Sullivan's bombed across the goal mouth. Up they go for it. Who's taken it? It's loose. Picked up. after a bit of a melee into the hands of Laurie Daly, who basketball passes it to John Ferguson, who steps, dodges, ducks, and gets the ball over the line in traffic with about one minute left. Mal Meninga in a very, very high-pressure kick, although not the hardest kick, certainly high-pressure, does succeed, and the score becomes 14-all, and that sends us into extra time. Now, how extra time works in this day and age is that no matter what happens during that time, an extra 20 minutes will always be played. So that means that it's 10 minutes one way and then 10 minutes the other. Uh, In 1998, I remember uh, the Bulldogs had a miraculous comeback against the Parramatta Eels in a preliminary final, I believe it was. Um, They were 18-2 down with about 10 minutes left. They got to 18-all. And they ended up winning 30 points to 18 because it didn't matter how many points they scored in extra time, they have to play that 20 minutes. So, the game kicks off, 14-all. The Raiders, to this point, have never been in front. 
but yet they were playing in extra time for a grand final. Gary Jack having an absolutely brilliant game, Miles. Hmm. Unfortunately, not his best moment comes during extra time. <laughs> no, it doesn't, unfortunately. Um, he uh, he has his Ben Hunt moment here, and he, he drops the ball at fullback, which ends up leading to the uh, Chris O'Sullivan drop goal. And it, it should be noted in this drop goal attempt from O'Sullivan, he, he, you see him really guide the football down, uh, much like an AFL-style drop-punt kick. And it's it's a, it's a obviously it's successful, but it's um, maybe they need to start kicking like this again uh, in attempting a drop goal because, as we've alluded to, the, the field was in really poor condition, yet O'Sullivan really gets hold of this one and kicks it straight and true. So maybe it'd be interesting to see them go back to that old, uh, I guess, AFL drop-punt style of, of drop kick. Well, absolutely. If he can kick a kick that ball over uh, those posts in that situation on that field, uh, maybe it is a tactic worth uh, pursuing. Now, the Raiders are 15-14 in front in extra time. They've still got about 15 minutes left to play, though. They're in front for the very first time in the game. For them to win, they'll be making records. They'll be the first team to win from fourth position. They'll be the first team to win from outside of New South Wales, Canberra, of course, being in the Australian Capital Territory, uh, and the first team to win after spending the first 80 minutes either equal or behind. But the Tigers did start to play a little bit more expansively, Kieran. Uh, yeah, in particular, one play, uh, there was uh, Gary Jack caught the ball around uh, on his 10-meter line, and he offloaded um, in a tackle to Pierce um, with... Uh, plenty of traffic coming down from the Raiders, although it was a, a bit of a staggered defensive line. Um, Pierce dummied and ran about 30 metres before getting a pass off to Brasher, who succumbed to the tackle. But it was a brilliant bit of play um, that really signalled the Tigers' attacking brilliance that we've continually talked about, um, which they reverted away from in the second half. And I, I had to think if, if um, I was a Tigers fan, or I'm sure uh, every single Tigers fan watching this game would have been thinking, where was this 30 minutes ago? Uh, the only Tigers fan that I can think of in my contact list is Chris Waring, who we spoke to uh, during, the, <laughs> during the intro last week, and I just I just don't have the heart to, <laughs> to call him again <laughs> and just be like, hey, can you cry again on the phone, please? Um, so I, I won't do that, but I, I do agree with you. Uh, it's, it's one of those things where... Uh, like the Melbourne Storm have done it for two decades, right? They get six points in front and then they close out a game, particularly when they had Cooper Cronk uh, and Cameron Smith working together. Um, but when it goes wrong, when it becomes the Broncos in the 2015 Grand Final, when it becomes the Tigers in the 1989 Grand Final, uh, you start to question those tactics. Um, but interestingly, Miles, uh, despite the fact that they were trying to you know, close the game out a little bit, and then obviously chasing points in during extra time. Um, it was interesting uh, some of the players that went missing. Yeah, um, and we we've, we'd kind of touched on Kieran kind of touched on this earlier, but um, and you hear the commentators say it, that the the Tigers really uh, kind of attempt to to win this one very conservatively in the second half, big uh, hit ups and the like, and 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 not really as much expansive play as they utilized in the first half and as a result um maybe through his own um nerves or something like that or, or maybe through the coach's direction you, you really see gary freeman touch less and less of the ball as the game goes on and it gets more and more put in the hands of the the far bigger uh, girthier taller mcneil at five eighth um 
And look, I, I think that uh, I think that's a directive from from Warren Ryan, who was, uh, I guess, known for his um, his uh, tactical nuance in an era where that wasn't really prevalent. Um, and I think it actually goes a long way to losing this one for the Tigers because I, I think Freeman really had the secret sauce in the first half for the Tigers, and, and Neil was uh, probably not quite as suited to the the team's style as as he should have been. And that everybody brings us to the moment if you've watched this game before and i'm sure if you haven't watched the game you're as a rugby league fan aware of what happens in this moment you've seen youtube highlights of this incredible grand final moment it's time for the moment you've all been waiting for the greg inglis award for deserving to have his license revoked which goes to (laughs) andy courier for for trying to kick the ball in a grubber style, on his own 30-metre line, on the wrong side of the field, he should have stuck to the right centre position. However, he's on the left side. He goes for a diabolical kick. Uh, the commentators call it a slight miss kick. I'm going to call it one of the worst kicks in general play of all time. Uh, and he basically misses the thing entirely. It leads to Steve Jackson picking up the ball for the Canberra Raiders. And, well, the rest is history. So that's it. 1914, the Raiders have prevailed in their very first grand final victory over the Balmain Tigers. For Balmain, they haven't won a premiership since 1969, and as history would have it, they would never, ever play a grand final as the Balmain Tigers ever again, meaning that players like Steve Roach, Paul Sirinan, Wayne Pearce, Gary Jack would never, ever be premiership winners. Quite a sad thing. For the Raiders, it was the start of a dynasty. They went on to win 1990 against Penrith. They lost 1991 against Penrith. And they won 1994 against the Canterbury Bulldogs, leading to some uh, very decorated careers for the likes of Mal Meninga, Laurie Daly, Ricky Stewart, uh, later Brett Mullins, of course Gary Belcher, who had an exceptional game, uh, according to Miles <laughs> and Kieran. <laughs> Boys, now it's time for the awards. Uh, we've already talked about the consensus awards that we've had so far. Uh, thank you for your votes. Um, I would like to start with what we thought was the best moment. For me, it's a pretty easy one. It's the Steve Jackson try. Uh, seeing a, a fellow North Queenslander push and barge his way over, carrying about 73 Tigers players um, and ignoring the boos of... 20,000 Tigers fans. Uh, it was a thing to behold, and I could just taste Chris Waring's tears, even though he wasn't even thought of at that time. Um, Waring Senior, I suppose, would have been the one crying. Uh, Kieran, what was your best moment? Uh, I had I had the same moment. Um, I didn't, I wouldn't, or I don't have as a uh, ceremonial kind of description for it, but I thought it was brilliant, brilliant running. Uh, and leg drive on tired legs from uh, Steve Jackson to get over the line and win the grand final in extra time. 
Miles, uh, who was your vote for best best moment? Look, uh, I, for the listeners who, who don't know me, I, I like to be different when I can. Um, and I thought that we might get a few votes here for uh, the game-winning try. So I've, I've gone with uh, Chica Ferguson's game-tying try. I, I thought that was a good one too. Um, you sort of, as, as, as you touched on, Bo, uh, Ricky Stewart uh, is assumedly going to get the ball here and make something happen, but Chris O'Sullivan just throws it on the slipper and winds up in the hands of, of Chica Ferguson, who, despite, I think, about maybe um, a conservative estimate, 30 metres of field to the left of him, still decides to turn it back inside and, and score under the post. So that was a, a classic Chica play, and, and that was probably my favourite moment of the game. And it has to be said, uh, in hindsight, you know, you, you, you think, well, maybe he could have beaten Grant on the outside uh, to score that try, but it becomes a very difficult kick for Mel Meninga to tie the game. The fact that he went inside, yes, maybe riskier, he had to beat more tacklers, but it also made a far easier kick under pressure. So, uh, yes, big ups to uh, John Ferguson in that case. The next award is, hey, it's that guy. Uh, an award that we give to... Uh, someone that we may have forgotten about, someone that we've always wanted to see play that we never have, um, or any other miscellaneous reasons you may have for giving out this award. Uh, for me, hey, it's that guy goes to Balmain Tigers number 10, Steve Edmed, who played, obviously, in the front row in this game and, and played solidly enough. Uh, he played for the Tigers until the end of 1995 when he joined the Cowboys on a one-year deal worth reportedly... Seven hundred and twenty-five thousand uh, dollars, which is <laughs> which is which is a massive, massive yikes. Considering you guys have never heard of this guy, I'm guessing apart from <laughs> apart from this game. Um, but it was proof once and for all that uh, Super League was ridiculous uh, when it came to the price tags they were giving players, um, and also the recruitment of the Cowboys in those early years was just staggering. Uh, Miles, hey, it's that guy. Hey, it's that guy. Um, I've got Kevin Hardwick, who comes on late in the game here for the Tigers, and he's, um, you, you may be thinking, who's that? Um, some of the younger statesmen listening, but you, you certainly would would notice him, uh, or you wouldn't be missing him with that long hair and moustache. And uh, I have watched a few retro Tigers games in the past, and I've seen this guy, um, but, but never quite known who he was. And so to, to kind of put a name to the face and, Bring it all full circle here. It was it was great to see uh, big Kevy Hardwick and his his long hair and his mustache and his uh, likewise ridiculous shoulder pads running out into the back row late in the game. Absolutely, uh, Kieran. Hey, it's that guy. Uh, my hey, it's that guy. Um, was John Ferguson? Um, I think I heard about him in 2016 because of Jordan Rapana for the Raiders. Uh, obviously, both played on the wing, um, and they had uh, a lot of flary players. At the Raiders back in the day, they had Daly, Meninga, and Belcher. But um, similarly, uh, they had Leilua and Rapana, um, not Curtis Scott at that time, but they had Jack Whiten as well. Um, and just, yeah, they there was a lot of comparisons made. So I, I heard about John Ferguson um, that way, and uh, I'd always wanted to, to watch him play ever since hearing about him. I heard that he had a lot of speed, as he showed in this game. Um, so yeah, it was just awesome to get to to watch him play after hearing so much about him since then. I will uh, I will give an honourable mention to Laurie Nichols as well. Uh, you guys uh, may not remember Laurie. Uh, he may have passed before before you guys started watching the game, but he was the guy that ran on like the old fella in the singlet that ran on the field 
next to Wayne Pierce. Uh, he was possibly the most passionate rugby league fan that has ever lived. Um, and that's that sounds like hyperbole, but I think I'm pretty bang on. Um, I can't remember when he died, but I, I remember being pretty young. But it was you see a Tigers game, you see Laurie Nichols. He was always the, the camera just always found him, so it was nice to see him as well. Uh, the well, next so, one, um, I might sorry. I might just jump in there before you uh, yeah, before you pass it on. Uh, Peter Beattie quite famously had uh, one of his more embarrassing and and I would go as far as to say disgraceful moments in his position where a, uh, a Laurie Nichols parody account tweeted at him telling him what a good job he was doing. And, of course, Peter Beattie saluted uh, for all us Peter Beattie haters and, and said, hey, Laurie, how are you going? Good good to see you're still around, when, of course, he had uh, <laughs> since passed. <laughs> the Mountain Tigers became the West Tigers, I think. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think he passed about two decades before that incident, yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, uh, as far as faux pas go, Peter Beattie uh, was the king of them, that's for sure. Uh, the next award is Cometh the Hour, Cometh the Man. Uh, pretty uh, self-explanatory, this one. I've gone with Chris O'Sullivan, uh, the underrated 5'8 for the Raiders, who, in their time of need, in a team that featured names like Belcher, Walters, Stewart, Meninga, he was the one that found the ball to get that cross-fielder kick across to uh, to lead to that John Ferguson match-tying try. Uh, he was also the one that found the field goal to put them in front for the first time in the game. So, for me, cometh the hour goes to Chris O'Sullivan. Uh, Kieran, cometh the hour... Uh, Malman. Mal Meninga, another player I was um, really excited to watch. I'd heard so much about him. Um, he kicks goals, uh, big hits, that one that we spoke about on Elias that was huge. Um, just completely put Elias on his back. And that ankle tap on Neil, that was, I would have to agree 100%, that is the best uh, ankle tap I've ever seen. Ah, uh, it's, it's hard to go past it, particularly in the context of the game. Uh, cometh the hour, Miles? I'm I'm going with you here, Bo. I, I think that Chris O'Sullivan, um, who, who mostly deferred to to Ricky Stewart all, all day long, um, as he as he should have, um, when when it was asked of him late in this game with the field goal and that kick to Chicka Ferguson, he he really stood up and for the the few touches he got all game, he there were there weren't too many bad bad touches. Yeah, I'm glad to have your support on at least one issue tonight. That's that's <laughs> made my heart warm. <laughs> <laughs> the next award is the Cradle to the Grave Award for Commitment to the Thug Life, uh, one of our favourite awards. Uh, you know what, for a 1980s game, this one didn't have a whole lot of stink, so it was kind of tricky to find uh, a Thug Life nominee. Uh, for me personally, I've gone with Steve Roach, um, maybe for a surprising reason. Uh, he was just about to pack into a scrum, uh, probably 65 minutes into the game, um, now, back in this day, uh, interchanges were very limited. So, if a front rower was called off in the 65th or 70th minute, chances are he's not coming back on. So, uh, Steve Roach substituted by Warren Ryan uh, in about the 65th minute. Uh, Roach, you could tell, was not impressed. And I think at that exact moment, if Warren Ryan was standing 
uh, within a meter and a half of him not practicing social distancing, <laughs> as it were, uh, he may well have caught an errant foot to the face. Um, so, uh, for commitment to the thug life, Steve Roach. Uh, Miles, who gets the cradle to the grave award for you? Yeah, so it was a glassy stare from, from Steve Roach, wasn't it? Um, and, uh, and, and I might add there, just while I've got the opportunity to give a bit more to, to Warren Ryan. I think that also goes a long way to losing the game, bringing off Steve Roach. But um, no, I, I agree with you, Bo. I've given it to Roach here too. Uh, for, it's more of a, a game-long award here than a single moment. He's He never stops running, big big Steve. Um, and uh, at the start of the game, I did notice uh, once or twice he and Gary Freeman throwing a number of fists in the in the tackle at the, the Raiders early on. So... Uh, that never escapes me as a passionate hockey fan, a, a few errant fists. So I'm going to give mine to, to Steve Roach too. Speaking of errant fists, uh, it, it did take an errant substitution to get him to stop running. Uh, and not just him either. It was Paul Surinan as well uh, off the field during those pivotal moments. Uh, Kieran, uh, cradle to the grave award for you. Uh, I've gone for something a little bit more boring than uh, what you guys came up with, but uh, it would it would go well in today's game. It's not allowed anymore. I went with uh, Meninga's shoulder charge on Elias um, when he was going for that field goal attempt. As I said, he just completely flatlined Elias, um, and that really got me got me pumped. I love seeing that again. <laughs> flatlined. <laughs> I, I, I have never heard that before when it comes to that. And look, that was a really pivotal moment because he had just charged down. Elias regathered the ball and then absolutely bet his maker. Uh, that, was, <laughs> that, was a, that, was a, that was a fantastic moment. I couldn't agree more with you. Uh, the next award uh, goes to our version of the turning point, uh, where we think uh, the game was changed irreparably probably in favour of the Raiders. Uh, for me, it's, just speaking of that moment, Tigers up 14-8 with six minutes left. Elias' first field goal attempt is charged down by Meninga, uh, who uh, earns the Cradle to the Grave nomination for his thumping shoulder charge seconds after. A couple of plays later, Elias' second attempt hits the crossbar, and it's knocked on by the Tigers. Uh, they didn't really get a chance in regular time to uh, to add further points and of course the Raiders leveled the score and won so for me that's a pretty big moment Kieran what was your turning point uh, yeah I, I would have to just go with that I think it was the most obvious point of the game they were 20 metres out 15 metres out for most of those sets where they were having field goal shots um, and they, they couldn't make the most of it. That was the, the biggest turning point. I think from then on, Meninga had that, that big hit and the ankle tap. The Raiders were just like, oh, well, if uh, if this guy's going to put in this much, we're all going to put in this much, and they all did. They all uh, really put in, um, and they uh, just showed that they weren't going to lose, and the Tigers kind of showed that they couldn't get it uh, close it out from there. Miles, my contrarian friend, what, <laughs> what is your turning point? Well, I have gone with something different to you two. Um, it's, uh, I touched on it just uh, a few moments ago there. I think Warren Ryan's substitutions in the last 10 or 5 minutes of this game, bringing off uh, Steve Roach and, as he mentioned, Paul Sirian really does the Tigers in here. It, it kind of uh, dilutes their attacking punch by just that little bit, um, and it, it hands the Raiders just that bit more ball that they actually need to, to tie the game. So I think that if... Uh, 
I think both of both players definitely had ten more minutes in them of, of running in this game, and I think if they stay out there, they probably uh, give the Tigers the necessary field position to to probably go on and win the game. It's especially interesting that they were replaced by not just and with respect inferior players, but also smaller players. Um, mm. So it was it was certainly very interesting. Uh, Gentlemen, we have a new award, uh, as suggested by by uh, Mr. Miles Stedman, uh, the Aaron Woods Award for never going out of fashion. Something that we have noticed in this game uh, that we think is incredibly fashionable. It could be literally fashion, or it could be uh, a facet of play that uh, we're so glad hasn't gone away or still holds value. Uh, For me, I've decided to go with uh, fashion. Uh, Ricky Stewart's curly mullet. Um, I just could not get enough of it, and in today's day and age, where you see him jumping around the sidelines with a very short haircut, and the only curly hair you really see is coming out the top of his button-up shirt, um, I really, really miss the curly mullet. Uh, mm -mm, Love it. Um, (laughs) Miles, uh, the Aaron Woods Award for never going out of fashion. I have have a little bit of a different take on it from you, Bo. Um, (laughs) Although I do agree, he does look a... He he looks a lot like... um, uh, a white Michael Jackson, and, and that uh, it's, uh, means something very different in a few years' time. Are, are, uh, you, are you aware that there is a white Michael Jackson? <laughs> <laughs> not by 1989, I don't think, or maybe. I'm no, not he sure. Was, he was. was. He, had, he had transitioned. Uh, oh, no, sorry. Uh, according to Michael, it was uh, a pigmentation issue, but go on. <laughs> my, uh, my Aaron Woods Award here is, goes to, um, I guess, more of a, um, a mood than anything else, uh, and that's... Uh, uh, a wing with a, a good kicking game. And in, in particular here, I'm referring to Matthew Wood, Tigers winger, who you see him in the first half. He, he puts in um, a, a fantastic squib kick down the line, which catches the Raiders' back three off guard and, and out of position, um, as we so often know Gary Belcher to be. Um, <laughs> he, he, as Kieran said, he did a fantastic job to make it back in the field, it should be mentioned. But... Um, it, it, it just adds an extra dimension and attack when the, the typically weakest um, link in the, the kicking game, maybe outside the prop forwards, also has a good kick on him. So I think that really that was uh, really added a, a good element to the game for the Tigers, and you, you saw it particularly in the first half there. Absolutely. And, uh, and Kieran, the Aaron Woods Award for never going out of fashion. I guess mine's slightly also a bit of a different take. It's something that kind of came more into fashion throughout the years, um, but it was the spiral pass. I'm glad that this came about and evolved and is now pretty much the staple kind of pass. Um, I have nightmares watching Jake Granville play um, <laughs> and <laughs> go to bed just thinking, um, is this guy, uh, has he learned anything during COVID-19? Uh, um, I don't have a partner who would be sleeping next to me thinking, oh, is he thinking about another girl? But no, I'm just thinking about <laughs> Jake Granville and whether he'll he'll learn how to pass properly. Um, so that's something I'm glad came into fashion, um, probably largely thanks to Ricky Stewart, um, the spiral pass. Jake Granville, the the Charlie Chaplin of, of the football world. Everyone else has moved on to talking films, and he's like, nah, 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 nah. Silent <laughs> films. That's where it's at. Uh, so, <laughs> no, as a fellow Cowboys fan, Kieran, I... I can't help but agree with you there, uh, and and yes, it was it was it was Wally Lewis that sort of uh, really fashioned it uh, in rugby league in the '80s. But Ricky Stewart was 
firing some beautiful spirals. Uh, the best of the losing bunch, uh, suffice it to say, uh, goes to our version of the best player for the Tigers on this occasion, and for last week as well, because we like picking on the Tigers. Uh, I thought Paul Sheridan had a damn fine game, and was desperately unlucky not to be a Premiership winner. Uh, having him and Roach off for that clutch part of the game, I do agree with you, Miles was a bit of a killer and a huge error from Warren Ryan. Uh, Kieran, who was your best of the losing bunch? Yeah, I had a big toss-up between Sirenin and Pierce, and I probably think um, Sirenin had the, the bigger moments. He had quite a few better charges with the ball, um, quite a few bigger tackles as well in defense, um, but I just thought overall Pierce was probably better, despite the fact that as captain he did go missing a little bit for those last... 20 minutes of extra time, but I, I thought um, for the most part he probably was the, the best on the losing side. And Miles, uh, best lo- losing bunch for you? Yeah, two tossed up between uh, Siren and uh, Steve Roach as well and, and Wayne Pierce. Um, but I've gone with, with Paul Siren and two. Um, I thought he was fantastic for the Tigers, and you're right, Bo, he's deathly unlucky to, to not be a premiership winner. Now, the next award is for future greats slash future stars because I am so pedantic about wording, but I feel <laughs> very comfortable uh, using the word greats uh, when you consider some of the names that we can throw around here. I am going to actually start with one of you guys. Uh, so I'm going to go with Miles. Who is your future great? You, you blink and you'd miss it because he doesn't play much of a role either. Um, but you do see Kevin Walters slink uh, onto the field with not long to go left in the game. Um, and unluckily for the... Obviously, Kevin Walters are uh, future Broncos and, and Maroons great, it should be added. Um, uh, and unluckily for the Raiders, this was his his last game for the club um, before returning home to Queensland to play for the Broncos. So, uh, look, maybe if he, he started this game, even at lock or something like that, he, he, he might have stayed around. Who knows? Yeah, hard to displace Bradley Clyde at lock, but I, I do hear you. And, and it's interesting because when we talk about the most winningest players ever, uh, when it comes to premierships, um, particularly in the modern era, uh, Walters is pretty hard to beat on that front. Uh, he won a lot of premierships. Um, Kieran, who is your future great? Uh, yeah, I had Bradley Clyde. Um, I think uh, he was, as we all agreed, he was the best on field in this game. But also, I've been—I've heard so much about him that I'm already just about convinced that he is the greatest lock to ever play the game, despite only ever watching him in this match. So, yeah, I thought uh, this award definitely deserved to go to him. Lock forward is, is one of those positions where it's evolved so much over the years. Um, the greatest locks ever, like, say, from the 50s and 60s and 70s, the guys like uh, like Ron Coote or, uh, or John Raper, tireless work ethic tough runs, uh, great cover defenders, like we saw Wayne Pierce in this game, and you had to be super fit. Nowadays, you're basically a front rower, right? So, like, your Sam Burgess, your your Jake Travojevic, your uh, Jason Tamalolo, your Paul Gallen, all those guys can play in the front row because they basically play exactly the same way as a middle forward. Um, so it was it's interesting to see that shift um but you'd have to say bradley clyde from most good judges i know that my dad uh who i i do respect his opinion on rugby league um talks about bradley clyde during that era as just being one of the absolute best footballers he's ever seen 
Um, and that, that includes any position. He just thinks he was just amazing. Um, for me, for future greats, I, I, I wanted to see who you guys picked first uh, because I had so many I could choose from. Uh, you could also throw uh, Tim Brasher into that conversation. You could throw uh, Glenn Lazarus into that conversation. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Laurie Daly, uh, who most people would remember as the largely unsuccessful New South Wales origin coach uh, through really no fault of his own I think uh, sure he would have made some mistakes along the way but good luck against that Queensland team Laurie was playing left centre he of, of course became one of the great 5'8s in an era that had Walters and Fittler he was right there with them arguably better than both um, playing at left centre we, we got to see a glimpse of Laurie's uh, tenacity of his speed of his strength of his defensive skill and at just 20 years of age, being a Premiership winner was really quite something. So for me, he's the future great. I'm going to go to the next award, which was It Was Better Before. Uh, basically, what was better about league at this time. For me, it was the attrition rate. It makes you really respect the fitness of guys like Bradley Clyde, like Glenn Lazarus, like Wayne Pearce. No, I'm not sure that the 120 kilo middle forwards of today's game could go 100 minutes like those guys did. Uh, so for me, it's it, 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 yes, it can be a messier product, but I, I love the attrition in in games like this. Uh, Kieran, what was better before? Uh, I had set plays. Um, whilst a lot didn't come off in this game, the number of decoy runners and inside balls that were thrown both left and right in one attacking move was just awesome to watch and uh, you don't see it um, quite as much anymore set plays. I know the Cowboys kind of, uh, they built their premiership winning season a lot off the back of set plays and I actually think the Storm in 2012, all three of their tries in the grand final were off set plays. So they are uh, recent-ish times but uh, I don't think you see it quite as expansive but still fairly uh, with some structure in there. Um, today with set plays as you did back then. Rugby league, like many things, uh, goes through uh, cycles of fashion. Uh, So you have your your set plays, and in the early 80s, it was the Parramatta Eels doing some absolutely loopy shit. Um, (laughs) But (laughs) then teams like the Bulldogs started to counteract that with just absolutely bashing it up the middle and just real structured play. And then your set plays take over, and then it's ad-lib play, and then it's structure. And it's it was interesting. Like you, you mentioned the set pieces of the of the Cowboys, but you know, teams work that out, don't they? So they have to keep going in fashion. Yeah. It's very interesting. Miles, what was better before? Well, I'm going to side with Kieran here. Uh, I think that uh, I also had set players down um, basically um, as my uh, it was better before. And I, I think it was interesting to hear Kieran rattle off some of the teams that uh, use set plays these days, like the Storm. And what popped out to me was that uh, when he was listing them off, I was just thinking premiership winner, premiership winner, premiership winner. So... When you look at that, it's it's the teams that really put in the work with the uh, the set plays that do end up being successful. And, and I'm I'm <laughs> I guess you, you could say far from a, a rugby league traditionalist. Uh, I do like some um, ad lib in my game, but I really do like, enjoy watching the teams that put in the effort to come up with some set plays. And you see some fantastic ones, particularly from the Raiders here. Um, uh, one that I noted down just as a, in in my notes was. Um, in the first half, their very first enter into the the Tigers' red zone, you see the Raiders um, on the literally the very first tackle. They 
have a, a set play where it's it's not much actual happening on the ball, but there's about I think I counted about three um, blindside dummy dummy runners, and it's just um, it's just fantastic to see teams involve so many of their players uh, on each tackle, and it, it really gives the Tigers thing to think about and. Um, that's certainly something that could uh, you could say has never gone out of style, but I think it was absolutely better then to see uh, the set players being run and, and see the the teams bring the the uh, I guess the New South Wales Rugby League more into the modern era. Absolutely, it, it is something that was better before about rugby league. But on second thoughts, maybe rugby league is better now. And for me, the balls are better now. Uh, and I'm not talking about the intestinal fortitude of play. I'm talking about the ball <laughs> they used. Um, that ball was... Like, we saw it in the Paul Sirinan try where uh, you could argue that Gary Belcher maybe could have got there on the full had he been positioned better. Maybe. But <laughs> the fact that that ball... <laughs> the, fact that, the fact that that ball bounced the way it did, it seemed to jump like almost four metres in the air after bouncing uh, back to James Grant. It was insane. And, and it's unpredictable. I mean, yes, the rugby league ball is naturally unpredictable, but what that ball was doing was absolutely nuts. It was hard to pass. <laughs> it was hard to kick. It was hard to receive as a football, uh, fullback or a winger. And I think it stifles attacking football. So I'm kind of glad that we've evolved the rugby league ball. Miles, what is better now? Uh, what is better now, uh, and I, I really hate to kind of step on the toes of some of our older listeners here, but uh, my goodness, was was commentary shocking back then? <laughs> um, I think it's, and I'm not too familiar with some of the older callers, but I think it might have been Graham Hughes calling this one. Correct me if I'm wrong, guys. But, yeah, you're right, and, uh, and Rex Mossop was there with him as well. Fantastic knowledge, Bo. Um, and, and obviously, I've already taken issue to them Um uh, with with their takes on Gary Belcher, but you, you hear them uh, number uh, a number of times in this game um, get things wrong, and and if, you, you know you mentioned it yourself, Andy Courier. Oh, a slight miss kick? Uh, not really, boys. Uh, uh, an absolutely shocking total miss kick. Um, and so, look, I I would even go as far as to say I I'm happy to have Braith and Asta compared to some of these guys. Holy shit. <laughs> like, that's, like, like, I'm sorry. We talk a lot of dumb shit on this podcast, but <laughs> that's a big call. That is, that is a big call. Braithen Nastar is the biggest gibber I've ever seen in the pod commentary box. Oh, I don't know. These guys could give him a run for them for his money. You are right about that. I'll give you. I'll give you that. All right, uh, Kieran. What's better? What's better now about rugby league? Uh, I actually like. I, I wasn't a huge fan of it at first, but I liked the Viking um, clap. I mostly didn't like it because it was ripped off from the Icelandic football team in Euro 2016. This is my one's a bit more specific to a team, but I like how the Raiders do the Viking Viking clap. Um, I think if there had been one after this grand final uh, match, it would have been in, even more uniting and one of the uh, the great moments of that grand final. Um, just another one to add to to what was already a uh, one of the best grand finals ever. And there's so many things about the post-game that was pretty amazing uh, about this. Uh, I particularly remember Mal Meninga sounding almost drunk. It's crying, <laughs> crying to the commentator on the field about how amazing this is and how important. Mal Meninga, tears, tears from the big man. And here's David Fordham. Oh, Mal, tears of joy, pal. I can't believe it. 
This is the greatest thing that's ever happened to him in football. Mel, Unbelievable. Is this the greatest moment you've ever had? Yes, by far. By far. Best player for Australia, best player for Queensland. This is what it's all about, winning the grand final. Mel, the spirit in that Canberra side in defence in the last 30 or 40 minutes, how do you rate it? Well, that's our best performance this year. Pretty, uh, for that matter of fact, I'm glad to come today. Mel, go and enjoy it. Thanks, well David. done. Fantastic. Yeah, the Viking clap might have been a bit more elegant uh, <laughs> in comparison. <laughs> um, but that's okay. Good on you, Mel. You are an immortal. You can do whatever you want. Um, next award, and the final award, is the Unsung Hero of the Premiership. Someone that, when we think about the 1989 Premiership, they often sort of get put to the sidelines a little bit, unless you actually sat there and watched it like we did. And for me, the Unsung Hero is John Ferguson. Guy played eight Origins for New South Wales. He played three Test matches for Australia, uh, clearly a very capable winger, came from Newtown, uh, once they were defunct, he, he went to the Raiders, um, had a very successful career, and if you weren't a huge Raiders fan uh, in this day and age, you, you may not have heard of John Sugar F- uh, Ferguson, and, and that's a real shame, um, and obviously in a team that has Belgium and Inga Daly, etc., yeah, uh, he, his name sort of gets sidelined a little bit, but you know, he, he in this game particularly, he often beat the first tackle. He had that amazing try. He also had the sleight of hand to set up Belcher's try. Ferguson was on par with the most influential people on the field on the day. Um, Kieran, who is your unsung hero? Uh, that kind of makes me want to change it back to John Ferguson just because of how much I enjoyed watching him play. Um, but I'll stick with O'Sullivan um, purely because he is someone that I hadn't heard of before, um, and he really did come into his own in that second half. He uh, he ran the ball superbly, uh, broke the line a few times, and um, yeah, I just I thought in a in a team full of superstars, he he really shone as well. Yeah, hundred percent. Like for me, it was I was also tossing up between those two. Uh, Miles, did you do the same? Uh, I had a, a bit of a different take on this one, and uh, I look. I, I recognise that he is he's obviously now an, an immortal and a great of the game. But I, I don't think Mal Meninga was at his best this game. But yet, as as I mentioned before, he he still came came up with those little game winning plays, like the pressure relieving kicks, the pressure relieving hit ups, the of course, the ankle tap on McNeil. So I, I think when you look back at the the best players in this game, and you look at the Bradley Clydes, the the John Chica Fergusons, uh, of course, the Gary Belchers, I I don't think <laughs> I don't think you, you generally think of Mal straight away in this specific grand final. But I think that every time he was called on, like like Chris O'Sullivan, every time he was called on, he he made a big play. So I'm going to go as for for Mal Meninga as my unsung hero. It does seem like a, a strange call, doesn't it? Saying that the immortal was the unsung hero. It's kind of like saying John's the unsung hero of the of the Knights' first premiership. But I do understand <laughs> what you're saying. This isn't seen as one of Meninga's great triumphs, uh, personally. You know, um, so uh, I, I totally agree with you. I think that's a great call. Um, now we've, we're into the last tackle. Uh, the pressure's on. Uh, we've got to get that last play right, and under pressure. The first person I talked to, with respect, Kieran, is Miles. <laughs> Miles, I'm going to throw to you for Miles's minutia. Well, Miles's minutia this week. Um, I think maybe if you, for those watching this game, uh, playing at home and watching, for those watching really closely, you would notice in the first half, um, you see a, a wide shot 
of the the ground uh, when Meninga's lining up for goal, I think it is. And you see a, a few residents living out on, on Moore Park Road actually kind of trying to look into the ground from their houses. Uh, and back in this day, they didn't have all the big um, advertising, uh, what do you call them, I guess, advertising signs and billboards up around the ground. And I, I don't think they even had a, an electronic scoreboard. So there's um, a lot of facade missing around the ground. And gosh, it really must have decreased those house values when they did put up the scoreboards <laughs> and the the billboards because they closed off the the outer facade to to stop those residents from looking into the ground and boy that must they must that must have been filthy. Absolutely, uh, thank you for that. That's a that's a good get. Uh, I, I would be curious to know what the what the land prices were. Um, <laughs> and it is quite a trendy suburb for for those who who don't live in in Sydney. Is the the Paddington Moor Park area? Absolutely. That was that was a good hit up, Miles. Thanks for that. Kieran, we're looking for you for a little bit of creativity in our in our last set. Uh, Kieran's crossovers, what do you have for us this week? Uh, so I think last time I went with a, a sport that is a current one at the moment, but uh, for this one today, I think uh, a nice bit of a new sport would be um, to have Ricky Stewart and you have Jared Hain his, with his long kicking game and Mitchell Pierce. Um, just to have a bit of a competition like they do with AFL, they have the sprint off on grand final day. I'd like to see if they could have a, who can kick the ball the furthest. So sort of just javelin style, have a bit of a run up and a kicking point. Um, it might not seem the most exciting thing, but um, you see most uh, halfbacks can kick a ball or usually kick the ball averaging about 40 meters each kick. And I regularly see Pierce kick it 50, sometimes 60 meters. Um, Hain did it quite a bit throughout his career. Um, and uh, Ricky Stewart had the, quite the boot on him as well, so that was something that uh, I thought would be interesting to see. Or even a game of foursome backs. Like that's I what I was you, thinking when yeah, you were saying that. <laughs> yeah, if you've ever played that, where it's like one team kicks, and then if you catch it, you get to take ten steps towards them, and like you got to try and kick into space and kick over their heads, and whoever yeah. they, it's like a tug of war sort of. Um, I think an honourable mention uh, for a crossover would have to be Brent Todd, by the way. Uh, the the Raiders front row. He played 28 tests for New Zealand. He also represented New Zealand in water polo, uh, believe it or not, um, making him quite the multi-skilled guy. But uh, in 2007, uh, he was given a year of home detention for his role in Pokey's fraud. So, you know, he's he's multi-talented, I guess. (laughs) Brent Todd, uh, multi-talented. All right, thank you. That was was an excellent setup. Uh, Now we go to Bo's box office, uh, as Miles mentioned earlier in the cast. I am a movie nerd, probably more so than a rugby league nerd. Uh, And what I try to do is I try and find a movie that uh, parallels the game, but it has to be a movie made the same year as the game was. So therefore, 1989, a year where the top movie at the box office for the year was Spielberg's uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, uh, where the fantastic cinema Paradiso won the uh, best foreign film at the Oscars. I've gone with something a bit more mainstream. I've gone with Pet Cemetery. Now, if you know the, the story of Pet Cemetery, the Tigers had been to this stage before, so I guess you could say it felt like home. But they were warned that bad things can happen at this ground. Never fear, they thought, going on to kill the Raiders in the first half. The mistake they made? They buried them at the SFS, 
where the Raiders came back from the dead to kill the Tigers in extra time. The SFS would prove, again, to be an unhappy place for them. So that is Bo's box office this week. Um, and finally, guys, uh, we got to get a, a good kick into our wingers. Uh, what do you give this rating out, uh, this game, a rating out of 10? Uh, Miles, I'm going to go with you, please. Look, through the opening moments, I actually wasn't enjoying it that much, but I think I had to adjust to the, the play style from the, the 80s. They were... They frequently called it uh, the, the greatest grand final they'd ever seen, and I, I think that's been surpassed a, a few times since then. But it's still a solid 8 out of 10 for me here. I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, Kieran, similar sentiments from you? Uh, yeah, yeah. I think it was probably very close to being the best attacking grand final I've seen, but there was too many simple knock-ons and missed tackles for me to call it the greatest ever. I'd, I'd give it 8.5 out of 10, I think. Good, good, good. You're just trying to make the maths nice and hard for me. Thank you. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with eight. Uh, I'm with Miles on this one. While there were some fantastic moments, and I'm thinking of Ferguson ducking and weaving and scoring that try, O'Sullivan's field goal, Jackson's try, Sirianen's try. It, it was a game. You can see the game is just starting to transition into like a real professional era. Um, and 30 years down the track, the, the skill level, the professionalism, the fitness, the, the speed, the strength of the players now, it's just not the same. Uh, appreciating it for what it was, though, I will also give it 8 out of 10, which gives it an average rating of 8.16 recurring. Um, <laughs> Good math. <I>, thank you. <laughs> um, and and that's a, a very strong recommendation from us. Uh Kieran, thank you very much. Uh, I hope you enjoy the next week until we until we do our next podcast. Likewise, thank you. And and Miles, uh, take care of yourself down in Sydney. Uh, enjoy your better standard of internet and all things that you get down in the New South Wales. <laughs> I absolutely will. <laughs> all right, thank you, gents. Above the Horizontal is brought to you by the Pioneer Australia. Your regular panellists are Miles Steadman and Kieran Gibson. Our theme song is Tough Nut by Ryan Cross. I'm Bo Nicholson. <laughs>